Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Please keep your Bibles open. There's quite a few things I want to show you tonight. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. And the title again is, Who is the Kingdom? Who is the greatest, rather, in the Kingdom of Heaven? This is part two of this. Who is the greatest kingdom of heaven? We'll read the first four verses of Matthew chapter 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted... And become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and we praise you and we worship you tonight. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his death on Calvary. Thank you for his precious shed blood. Thank you, Lord, that you went right into death itself. You were buried in a tomb. But we thank you tonight. We serve a risen Savior. That you rose again on the third day. We thank you tonight, Lord, that we belong to you those of us who have put our full, total and complete trust in your finished work on the cross. And so, Father, tonight we pray that if there's one who has come in tonight, Lord, they've come in, Lord, because you've brought them here, and not by an accident. We pray, Lord, that they come under the sound of your word. They'll realize that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And Lord, we ask you that you would speak to hearts. May they, Lord, be born again of the Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb as they wend their way to the old rugged cross, by faith claiming and trusting the precious blood of Jesus. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name tonight that you'd also speak to your people. You'd speak to those who are saved, who are Redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we ask you, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, stir us up, Lord. Stir us up to serve you and stir us up to know you more. Stir us up to love him, to love your son. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place, in this assembly. And glorify the name of the Son of God who loved us and gave up himself for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Part two of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You remember last week, I don't want to go in too much, for there was far too much said, and it would take up another evening. But you remember how we looked at the disciples have been arguing, even in other areas, amongst themselves. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In that majestic and marvelous kingdom that is to come. That's speaking of the kingdom of God when Christ returns. And is wonderfully set up on this earth. And Christ rules the universes for a thousand years. And then after a thousand years, we know that the devil who has been bound for that thousand years is loosed deceives many, and the Lord then has what's known as the great white throne judgment where the resurrected dead outside of Christ will stand before Christ. We're told there's a lake of fire, and in that lake of fire is where the unsaved, the unconverted, those who are not trusting in the Lord, is where they'll be. And we're told that they're there also is the place for the devil and his angels. In that kingdom which Christ sets up, his disciples are wondering, Lord, who's going to be the greatest? Who is the greatest? And as I said last week, 
we took a quote from a, a John Bunyan who, he, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress when once asked a question about uh, the kingdom of heaven. And the matter wasn't written firmly or squarely in the scriptures. He turned around to the inquirer and John Bunyan said to the person that asked the question, live a holy life and go and see. So friend, this evening, this is what I would say to you. What is heaven like? Live a holy life and go and see yourself. For I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of men the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. What will this kingdom be like? We get, and we looked at it most of last week, snapshots and little pictures of what it will be like. And we looked at Revelation chapter 1, 21 rather, and we looked at verses 3 and 4 especially. Now we're not going to go through it all, but we're talking about the, ta- the tabernacle of God is with men and he shall be their God and they shall be his people, we're told. That tabernacle is... Uh, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the tabernacle in the wilderness, God in the midst of his people Israel. And that tabernacle was where the, the immediate, Shekinah, noticeable, tangible, felt presence of Almighty God came upon the Ark of the Covenant. And that place was right at the center and the heart of the nation. Showing us where our gospel and where Christ should be in our own, in our own hearts, in our own nation, in our own families, first and foremost. But showing us also that in the kingdom of God, Christ is the tabernacle among men. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he is almighty God in flesh, or as one man once put it, Christ is God with a face. God is known in the face of Jesus Christ. And that fleshy body which is resurrected and glorified from the tomb, from the uh, the tomb in Jerusalem and ascended into heaven, that same Jesus or this same Jesus as the two men dressed in white cried at the Mount of Olives when he was taken up into heaven He said, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner out of heaven as you have seen him go into heaven. So in other words, Christ himself is coming back and he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. Now, we looked at much of this. The tabernacle represents the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that this city the new Jerusalem speaks of the people, the redeemed saints of God. They are the new Jerusalem. They are the new Jerusalem. You're the new Jerusalem and I'm the new Jerusalem. Speaks of the people. Let me give you an example. For, uh, uh, in, in the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah is crying and lamenting over the old Jerusalem. And he's lamenting over it saying, Oh, Jerusalem, uh, 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 talks about the glories of it. says, How thou art fallen. A city now sits solitary, who was a princess among the provinces. In other words, it wasn't the city and the, the, the actual buildings that had fallen. It was the Jerusalem people that had fallen. And so the people of the new Jerusalem are those who are washed by faith in the blood of the Lamb. Now notice this. It says there will be no need of the sun nor of the moon. It also says there's no temple there. Remember, there was the tabernacle in Israel. Then there was the temple in Israel, the great edifice there. There'll be no temple there either because you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. And you and I will be a walking, living, moving, breathing organism of God with the Holy Spirit and his power his anointing and his glory flowing through each and every one of us. Flowing in power through you, brother, and flowing in power through me. There'll be no temple and there'll be no tabernacle. Notice what it says. 
Did not need the sun to shine in it nor the moon, for the glory of God lightened it. In other words, the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. The God who came in a picture or a vision or a theophany of light to Israel. The God who came and said, when he was manifest in flesh, in the person of his son, I am the light of the world. The God who shone, resurrected and ascended into heaven upon the apostle, or Saul who became the apostle Paul, that great light in the voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That great brilliance of pure shining light is the light that will lighten the kingdom of God. His glory, his amazing presence. We're told that the nations, in verse 24 of Revelation 21, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in it. And then we're told, there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whosoever worketh abomination or make a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a criteria to enter the kingdom, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 22. And we stopped here last week. And verses 3 to 5 says, And there should be no more curse. When Christ bore a crown of thorns upon his brow, and they circled it and fashioned it and formed it and driven it into his brow, and the precious blood of Jesus would stream down his lovely face. That crown of thorns represented the curse from the fall of our father Adam. He says thorns will grow on the earth. And every time you prick your finger on a thistle or every time you prick your finger on a thorn on a rose bush, you remember there's a curse in the earth. But Jesus has overcome it all. And when he returns, there will be no more curse. says, the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And now you notice this in verse 3 of Revelation 22. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. Notice, and his servants. Now Christian, will you say something for me? Will you say his servants? His servants. Let yourself hear it. His servants. His servants. What shall they do? Shall serve him. Say it shall serve him. His servants shall serve him. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He whom his servants shall serve. Christ himself is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4 tells us, and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. What does that mean? Now we are told that there's going to be some form of an antichrist and his name is going to be in their foreheads or whatever. We've heard of it being tattooed or whatever. Now listen to me. That has already happened in history. This happened way, way many hundreds of years ago when God breathed upon a, 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 a little monk called Martin Luther. And he cried, the just shall live by faith. And the glorious Protestant Reformation came. And men and women were born again of the Spirit, clinging to the Word of God. And we're told through that, of course, history proves of Rome who wanted to bring them back into the fold. And of Rome who persecuted them and also killed many millions of them and martyred them. They wanted to put their doctrines back into their head and their hearts and the right hand of fellowship they wanted to shake. Here are we to believe then, if it be true that there's a tattooed mark on everybody's forehead, that the Father's name is going to be tattooed to your forehead? The idea is here that Christ will be in our minds 24-7. That Christ will be in our hearts Every moment of every day. 
that Christ will be in our minds throughout all eternity. And the word of God will dwell rich within every single one of us who are redeemed with precious blood. His name shall be in your forehead, brother. His name shall be in your forehead, sister. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Our God has a name and his name is Jesus. And his name will be in my forehead and in yours. And we will serve him. We will serve him because we love him. We will serve him because he died for us. We will serve him because he has forgiven us. We will serve him because he's redeemed us with his precious blood. His name will be on our foreheads. In other words, we will think Christ for eternity. He will be centralized in all we are. And nothing will deter us. And no one will distract us. And nothing will hold us back. Because for the eons and the eons and the eons of eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, we will worship him and serve him as our God. That's who Jesus is. As I said last week, we're not looking for the the televised, Hollywoodized, mongrelized version of heaven. You're going to walk through a, a cloudy sort of an area and maybe a bit of a golden street and a little pearly gate and a great white grand piano in the corner with, with, with someone standing in a white suit or sitting in a white suit playing away and waving at you. With, Isn't it all beautiful? And we're strumming harps and we're floating around in clouds and with little wings upon our backs. That's Hollywood. This says we will serve him. And every day of our lives, every day here until eternity and throughout eternity, you and I will not even have another thought in our mind then. I remember our, my pastor used to always teach us this. A simple saying, he used to say it over and over and over again. And he used to say this. This life is a training ground for the life that is to come. Now listen to me again. This life is a training ground for the life that is to come. We find that many Christians have fallen by the wayside. They have become deterred. They have fallen back before Almighty God and from serving him in this life. I'm not talking about working to be saved now. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And it's not of works lest any of us should boast. But what we do is we serve him because we love him. So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're told that the greatest one, his name shall be in our foreheads. And the greatest one, we're told, they shall see his face. The face of him. The face of him who hung on the cross. The face of him who was beaten to a pulp. The face of him whose face was marred more than any man's. The face of him whom they smote with rods. And the face of him whom they smote with the palms of their hands. The face of him whom they spat upon with man's filthy, joyful spittle. The face that ran down with blood on Calvary's cross. That same face. We will see his face. But it's a face of glory. And it's a face of power. It's a face of beauty. And it's a face to behold indeed. I want to aim for a moment. And I want to aim just at one more verse and then show you what God expects of us as believers in this life. Verse 5 of Revelation 22. 
and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle. Neither light of the sun. Notice, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign. Notice, they shall reign. R-E-I-G-N. They shall reign forever and ever. Here's something for you to take note, brothers and sisters. In this glorious, marvelous, wonderful kingdom, there is place of power. There is place of authority. And there's a place for you. What we find is most many Christians, should I say, many Christians say, well, I'm saved and I'm on my way to glory. I'm saved and if I, if I die, I'm, I am the Lord's and that settles it then. And that's true. That's true. And if you're saved by grace, that's it. But in his kingdom, in his kingdom, you and I will give an account for the things done in the body. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. In other words, it's not the great white throne judgment, but it's what you and I have done as Christians. How we have been faithful to the place where he has planted us, to the ministry where he has given us, and where he has put us. He will want to know what we have done. There's a little verse I'll just pick out, just for time's sake. First Corinthians chapter three and verse nine. First Corinthians chapter three and verse nine, please. Listen to this one little verse. For we, Paul writes, you and I. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Now notice this. We are laborers together. One with another, but we are laborers together with God. Serving God. Every believer has a ministry. Every believer has something to do for the kingdom of God. And where God places you, and where God puts you, and the gifting God gives to you, is for his glory, here on the earth, and for the kingdom of God to come. In other words, we are laborers together with God. God is working with us. God is working in us. We are God's husbandry. That means God is like a gardener. It gives the idea. He's like a gardener who plants flowers in certain places, little tender plants. They're well watered and he watches and he waits till they grow down roots and they spring up and bear fruit. We are laborers together and you're God's husbandry. And... John's Gospel, chapter 15, please. If you want to turn to it, I want to lift out a verse or two. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Notice that. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Here Jesus gives the the emblem of Israel, the vine. Fig tree was the Jews. The vine was for Israel. And he says, I am the true vine. Those who couldn't keep the law, I've kept it. Those who didn't bear fruit for the Father, I have borne their fruit. Those who couldn't live the life before him, I have done it. I am the full and complete example of a human being before God. 
And my father is the husbandman. What does he mean? He means God is a gardener who has planted him in the earth, who planted him in the vineyard, as some of the parables tell. And God planted him in order that he would come and live the life we couldn't keep and keep the law we couldn't keep. You know, in Isaiah 53, we'll not go to it for time's sake, it says of the Lord Jesus, of a prophetic utterance, he, the Lord Jesus, shall grow up before him, the Father, or Yahweh, as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. And he's a tender plant who was planted in the house of Judah, from the house of David. He's planted in Jerusalem. And as he's growing up, he's looking for the fruit of men and women unto God. And as he's looking for the fruit, he says, I am that tender plant. And I'm a root, something that's living, something that's real, something that's alive. He says, I'm the one with life, a root out of a dry ground. Out of a ground who turned away Almighty God. This is what he's saying here. I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Now if you read on, and we'll not for time's sake, it says, if you want to bear fruit... And abide in me. For without him we can do nothing. We are God's husbandry. God has planted you brother. And God has planted you sister. And God's given you a ministry. And God's given you an ability. And God's gifted you and talented you. And some of us are bearing it. Some of us don't want to hear the word. And walk in it. You know, it's time for you and I as blood washed. Born again. Spirit filled believers. To walk out the word of God in reality among men and women. To walk it out. What I mean to walk it out? To live it out. To live out every day. That men and women would say there's something different about him. There's something different about her. I can't place my finger on it, but there's something different about them. And when they talk to you, not that they talk to you and they're so pi- you're so pious that no one can approach you. Or you're so holier than thou and self-righteous that no one thinks anything of you. Or, or that, that people think, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be like that. Be a human. Be natural. Be real. Be yourself, but be in love with Christ. And walk it out in your life. When trouble comes, we don't run away. We run to him. And people see a strength in us. People notice God's grace in us. People see the anointing upon us and people will come to us wanting to know what it is about this wonderful Savior, this wonderful Christ. We are his husbandry and we are his building. I was talking to Alison yesterday, when I for a drive, yesterday afternoon. She's talking about lively stones. And you know, when you drive up around the morns, you see the old stone walls, you know, the dry stone the big round rocks just built no cement. I mean, you're around that sort of an area, it gets you thinking, and I thought, you know, we're called lively stones by Peter, living stones. And since we're living stones, and God has placed us to build, we are his building. We're fitly, as it were, framed together by him. And since we are his lively or living stones, then herein lies the challenge for us. That when we are not in the right place that we should be in ministry, or when we are not in the right place we should be, when God's people are meeting together to worship, whether that's in the morning or in the evening of Sunday, or maybe uh, during the week in our meeting, I know people work and people are, 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 are coming home late and they can't get out in time. We understand that. But you know, when so many do it, there becomes a hole in the wall. Now think about it. You are a living stone for God. You are a lively stone. And if there's a hole in the wall, and another hole in the wall, then another hole in the wall, then another hole in the wall, because there's missing lively or living stones, what happens? The wall becomes weakened. Until there's a great hole in the wall, and the enemy comes in. See, you're God's building. Let us stick together and stay together and keep trusting in God and serving him. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, listen to this. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign. R-E-I-G-N. Notice about the reigning. You see in the kingdom, there's a reigning to be had. In other words, there's different levels of authority. And Christians tend to want, you know, in life, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Do well in the school and university and the pressure uh, and they stress and they strive for the best, uh, the best results and for the best grades and the best jobs for the nicest house and the lovely furniture and the nice car. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But if I can put into comparison with you, brother and sister, if I can put it into comparison with you that all of those things are nice, we hold on to our, 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 our bank books or whatever and, and it becomes so precious to us. See, the love of money is the root of all evil, not having money. It's the love of it. We don't strive for the kingdom of God the way we do in this life. We don't strive for the kingdom of God as much as we have for our jobs and our security. Because listen, brother and sister, if you're beside someone who has left something behind, whether it's their home, whether it's an estate, whether it's small or large, when they take their last breath and pass out into eternity and you're standing with this in your hands and they have, they have saved and they have tried their best to count, make a count to amount up the much, and you have it in your hands, and they're gone. And you've got it. But if it's you and you enter eternity, and you haven't been striving for the kingdom, what do you enter into? Yes, you'll enter the kingdom. But what place in the kingdom will you enter? At what place? Now let me say again, we are not saved by our works. We, are, we work because we are saved. Okay? Make sure clear. Striving for the kingdom. You know what Paul calls it? Striving for masteries. Running the race with patience that is set before us. The crown of life, he says. He says, strive for it. A better resurrection. I don't think there's too many have heard this sort of teaching much. There's more than this. Now the Holy Ghost is here. He's speaking. There's more. And we're so led back and forgetting the kingdom. And when you leave this scene of time and go into eternity, and you stand before him, then we'll see where we are in that kingdom. The idea here, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. See the word suffer? People tend to think that if you die or you've had a disabled, a disablement in your body all your life and you've been a Christian and you've kept the faith all your life or, or you've suffered through that, that's not the suffering this is speaking about. And some people tend to think, well, I've come up and I've had a hard time recently and I'm suffering for the kingdom. That's not the suffering this means. That's nothing to do with the kingdom. And some people tend to think that if I suffer and I die a martyr's death for Christ, yes, if God has it for you to die a martyr's death for him, God will bless you in that. There's many died and there's many are still. But this is not what it means here. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. The word here is hupomino. And hupomino simply means if we labor together with him, if we remain with him, if we abide in him, if we hold fast in this life and serve him, we shall also reign with him. And so many believers think they take this Christianity as if I've said a prayer 
I've put my hand up in the meeting. And listen, I was saved on an appeal. I'm not saying anything against it now. But it's more than that. See what we have here if you're saved. What we have is a living, breathing, walking, talking, glorious, eternal lifestyle with God. so easy for us to lay back and say I can saved yes you may well be but there's a kingdom of God and he at the bema seat or the, the, the judgment seat of Christ is called it's not the great white throne judgment now of unbelievers where he says we shall receive gain or we will have loss of reward So who is the greatest in the kingdom? The greatest in the kingdom is he whom we will serve. Listen to Puritan Thomas Watson. Listen to what he says about the grace in our lives. You know, people think grace is just, uh, well, grace is a license for us to sin and do what we want. No, it is not indeed. You know what grace actually does? Grace empowers you not to sin. Grace empowers you to be able to come onto your knees and pray. Grace empowers the Christian to go on in God. But listen to what Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, said when he was speaking on heaven and God's grace. Listen to this. The more we grow in grace, the more we shall flourish in glory. Though every vessel of glory shall be full, yet some vessels hold more than others. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. The more we grow in grace, the more we shall flourish in glory. Though every vessel of glory shall be full, yet some vessels hold more than others. In other words, we will not lack in the kingdom if we're trusting in Christ. But in the kingdom, there will be those who are filled with a fuller, flourishing anointing to serve the King of Kings. Listen, I believe when Christ returns that when he sets up his kingdom and all the kings of this earth and the presidents and the, and the prime ministers and all these leaders and so on, they'll all come and they'll measly wind their way up to try and pay some homage to him. For then they shall see him face to face and they will bow their near him. Yes, he's king of kings, but I want to tell you something. In his eternal kingdom, those of us who are saved, we are called kings and priests unto our God. In other words, we are reigning as kings in the kingdom of God. And he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In other words, you and I may be kings and priests unto God, but he is the king above all kings. Glorious Christ, wonderful Christ, beautiful Christ, magnificent Christ, sensational Christ, impeccable Christ, marvelous he is. Let me do this and we'll round this up. I think I'll do one more week after, not next week, the week after, will I? I'm going to look at this because I don't think people have heard a lot of this before. And I want you to get it into you. You know the idea of this for the Christian tonight especially? And if there's anybody unsaved in here, you'll not be in the kingdom unless you're in the Lamb's book of life and saved. You'll not be there. The lake of fire is that destination. But the reason I'm saying this is because I love you. My brother, sister, please listen to me. It's because I love your soul. You may be poor in this life, but rich in faith toward God. And you may be in a ministry where God has placed you and you're using it, even if it's a prayer ministry. Maybe you're older and just all your life you've served and you can't do much more, so you've decided to be a prayer warrior. 
Or maybe you're just there interceding for people every day. Maybe you're just a telephone ministry to, to help, not one of those other telephone ministries to, 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 to gossip. Maybe you've got a, a ministry for writing letters. I know some of the ladies in here have, and it's really encouraged people. All this is, God does not expect you to do more than what he has given you. In other words, he gives you what he knows you can handle. You deal with it. You trade with it. You occupy till he comes and he blesses you in it. And let me show you this and we'll round this up and close. If you want to go with me to Luke's Gospel chapter 19, please. You see, the idea is here, brothers and sisters, is I, I, I love your soul and you're saved. But I want to see those of us who really want to you know, we're unhappy in our, in, in, with what we have sometimes, or we're unhappy on a job, and we're trying to get a better one, or we see someone with something nicer, and we strive for it. And please, I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong with all that. I'm not saying anything wrong with trying to do well in this life. But if you and I put our soul effort and all our striving into serving Christ, all that we have into serving him. We would turn the world upside down. We would. Luke chapter 19. We'll read this. I'll comment on it. And then we'll wrap up and go home. Let your eye please run down. I don't want to read too much of it for there is uh, quite a bit of it. Let your eye run down to verse 12. Let me just tell you what's happening here. They think the kingdom of God should immediately come in the previous verse. Listen, it says, and he said, he said, therefore, that's the Lord Jesus said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. Notice, and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. Now note that, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him, sent him a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants should be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thy good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little notice, doesn't expect too much from you. You have been faithful in a very little. Thou hast have thy authority, notice, over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. And he said unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. Wow, notice that, out of your own mouth, out of what you proclaim yourself. I'll judge you. Just let that sink in a minute. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thy wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an astute man, taking up that I had not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then givest not, not thou my, my money unto the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury or with interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. Jesus is the man going into a far country, ascension into heaven. He is coming again. And in the interim period, 
of his absence occupy till I come. I see the occupy, it doesn't mean just to say, well, I'm believing and I'm sitting waiting. He wanted them to trade with what he had given them. It's a very little, doesn't expect too much, just faithfulness. He says, occupy do I come. Now, if you've ever seen an occupying force go into another country, they take over completely. God expects his people also to take mastery over our circumstances and situations. God expects us to occupy the place where we are, your place of work. You're not to be the the quiet, conservative, uh, excuse the term, I don't mean offense, mealy-mouthed Christian. You're to be the man and the woman called of God and planted and anointed with God's Spirit. And occupy your workplace and occupy your family and occupy your home. Say, we, we we don't want to offend anyone. We need to occupy our island home again. We need to occupy Britain. We need to occupy Ireland. We need to occupy our islands again. That the word of God would be rich everywhere. He says, occupy do I come. And if he comes back to a church today in Great Britain, he's coming back to some very poor stuff. The little saying church age period. Maybe talk about it another night. Thou sayest, I am increased with goods and have need of nothing. Isn't that what the church is like now? He says, Thou sayest, out of your mouth I'll condemn you, he says. Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Listen to what he says. But knowest thou not, do you not realize that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked? Then he goes on, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Eh? In other words, come, let me refine you. That thou mayest be rich. We'll talk about that some other time. Notice this man takes his pound and he gets ten and rules over ten cities. One takes his pound and gets five pounds back and has rulership over five cities. And one with one pound takes his pound and wraps it up in a napkin and digs a hole somewhere and buries it. He didn't use his gift. He didn't use his talent. He became unfaithful and cold in heart. Now notice this. The Lord called him a wicked servant. Wicked servant. You know what he said about the Lord? Lord, I knew, I knew that thou wast an austere man. I knew you were hard. Gives one the idea that he didn't know Christ at all then, did he? Believer, I leave you with this for this evening. If the Lord was here, came back tonight. What do you have to offer him? Listen, he's not asking you to do somersaults every day, you know. He's not asking you to worry yourself thin. That's not what this is about. It speaks of walking out the word. Speaks of walking in faith with him. Yes, we've our up days, we've our down days. We all know that. Talking about being faithful to his cause and his service. Suffer with him to reign with him or abide in him. Walk with him. It means to hold fast to him. Don't vacillate, you know, back and forward one way then the other. Keep trusting. Even when you're feeling low and weak, I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm holding on to you. I'm living in your grace. I'm living in your grace. What would we as a church here in Donna offer the Lord? What could we say to him? 
I finished by saying this to you, and I've written it down just as it came to me. Don't be misled. To grow in grace is to grow in in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to grow in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. To grow in grace is to be submissive to his mastery. And yet, it is to be empowered with his authority. To grow in grace is to be obedient to the word of God and yet to be anointed to speak and preach the word of God. To grow in grace is to find yourself at the feet of Christ in repentance looking for forgiveness and yet finding yourself flourishing and flowering in faith and freedom. To grow in grace is to serve the Lord Jesus in the now in order to reign with him in the kingdom come. The grace of God is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in your life. So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples ask him, and he's sitting before them, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, the tabernacle, the temple with men. He who lights up heaven and all eternity, whom we will serve. Jesus You are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God bless us tonight. And God bless his word to all our hearts. And you know, this word was not meant to go on for two or three weeks, but it's just went that way because I keep popping off these notes. Next week we have kingdom kids. And God willing, the week after we'll maybe do part three. I'll see how the Lord leads me. I have more here. But here's something else. In a few weeks' time, I'm going to do Bible prophecy again because we're looking at Russia and I've already told you about all these things. I'm just going to do your recap on them.